to, to have that picture of this is who I was before Christ. And this is who I am in Christ. I have been baptized into Christ Jesus. So that I might be raised just as he was by the glory of God the Father to a new life. Some of you who, uh, some of you, most of you who are following the March Madness tournament going on know that the Wisconsin Badgers are known as the Giant Killers. How many of you guys had uh, Villanova as your winning? Uh, Yeah, well, the Wisconsin Badgers, once again, Villanova falls in line with Kentucky and Xavier and Arizona that's been slain. Once again, by the Wisconsin Badgers, known as the Giant Killers. Baptism means to be dipped in or under for a washing purpose. The way someone might wash something by hand in a, in a washing bin. It's known to be something for us. It's to be something more than just baptism, just a washing, just a getting wet. It's a significance. It carries a message for us. As the badgers have taken on a new name, if you will, I've reminded once again, this is what this team does. We're reminded once again of who we are. That God has slayed the giants in our lives. He has slayed sin. He has slayed death. He has taken them out of the way. And we are reminded of this in the significant sign of baptism. This is not just dipping someone down in order that they might be washed, in order that they might be clean. Baptism is also known ceremonially through Scripture. And its name means so much more than just a washing. It's a sign of the new covenant that we have with God as our Father. Colossians 2, 11 through 13 says, In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And you're saying, where did we, why are we talking about circumcision now? Where he says in verse 12, Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him, being Jesus, from the dead. You see, for the Jews in the Old Testament, most of you know that they were given a sign of the covenant that God had made with them as his covenant people, and that sign was circumcision. And it signified a man being set apart as God's special person and as the head of his home under this covenant with God and his Father. And the intention was to represent a commitment of their hearts to God, a a bending of their knee, a bowing of their will to God as their Father. In fact, you see that as Moses says to Israel, 
that warning them prior to going into the promised land that even though God would bring judgment on them for turning away from being His covenant people set apart from Him, He says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 6, And the Lord God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. Jeremiah actually accused Israel of being uncircumcised in heart. Even though they were circumcised physically, they were accused of being uncircumcised in heart, unrepentant, not set apart for God in themselves. And so John the Baptist shows up on the scene in what we know is the New Testament, here at the beginning of the Gospels, and he's preaching to Jews to repent. And he brings to them a sign of repentance, which they would have recognized. It wasn't a foreign thing, for, because when a Gentile proselyte desired to become a Jew, a part of that process was they would begun, go through baptism, go through that sense of representing a washing from their former attachments and the, from their former life and taking on a being a new covenant people with God. So, but, but for John to offer baptism to Jews is like, wait, we don't need to be washed. We're God's people. We're set apart from Him. But John preached a baptism of repentance, telling them, prepare your hearts, recognize your need for salvation. Repent from your dead works. Even though they might, they would have been, being Jews, circumcised, not serving God from their hearts. And Jesus himself underwent baptism, identifying himself with this sign of repentance, with this new sign of the coming new covenant. And his disciples practiced it as directed by Jesus. We're told in John 4, 2, that there were instances in which it says Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples. Jesus instituted God's new covenant at the Last Supper, consummating his new covenant on the cross. But this was a covenant in his blood with his flesh broken and his blood poured out as an eternal sacrifice. This is when the new covenant was consummated with a new sign of baptism. And under this new covenant, Jesus commanded baptism as a part of a person's beginning to follow him as their savior. We read, and you're familiar with Matthew 28, 19 through 20, the Great Commission. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. This baptism that's a new sign of a new covenant. Just as circumcision was for the Jews under the old covenant. And it's carried on in the rest of the New Testament. As we saw in Colossians 2, 11 through 13. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Having been buried with Him in baptism in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. So this begs the question, is there something magical in baptism that makes a person 
a Christian forgiven by God? Is there something magical in this process? I say, no. I'm sorry, Carrie Underwood. There's nothing special in the water. There's not something in the water. Baptism is a sign of the eternal salvation that God has brought to His child in Christ. Without that being true, there's nothing special in this water. And, and as, I, as I hold to doing, and especially this morning, we need to understand that each person must come to realize that we cannot have a relationship with God through our own personal work. Because everything that we do, think, and say is tainted by sin. We are sinful. We are separated from God without hope, without Christ. But Christ in His graciousness, God in His, in His eternal plan, chose to sacrifice His Son on the cross. And in His power, in, his, in, the, in death's inability to hold Him down, it was confirmed by His raising from the dead. And if a person will put their trust in Christ alone for a relationship with God, they can be saved. That's the gospel. And that's what baptism is about. That's what it represents. So there's a similarity between circumcision and baptism in being outward signs of an inward change that takes place when a person receives Christ as their Savior. Recall that Paul referenced Abraham's justification by God as specifically having been prior to his circumcision. We learned this in Romans 4 when we were in it, where it says, What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are counted not as a gift, but as his due. You see, the sign of salvation, circumcision prior to Christ or baptism after Christ has always been differentiated from the person's salvation itself. The intention has always been to separate a person's salvation from the work that is associated with it, the sign that's associated with it. In fact, Romans 4 specifically is specific about explaining the symbol as coming after salvation. Continue on in verses 9 through 11. Is this, this, this blessing then only for the circumcised or also for the uncircumcised? For we say that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it counted to him? Was it before or after he had been circumcised? It was not after, but before he was circumcised. He received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith while he was still uncircumcised. The purpose was to make him the father of all who believe without being circumcised so that righteousness would be counted to them as well. And we'll see as we continue on in Romans 9 in a few weeks the tragedy of the unsaved Jewish people basing their salvation on works 
like their circumcision, as pointed out in Romans 4. We'll see in Romans 9, verses 30 through 32. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith, but that Israel, who pursued a law that was that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because 